Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Megan Thomas, and I'm the communication specialist at NSVRC. On today's episode, we're learning more about Fort Lewis College's campaign to prevent COVID-19 and how those principles could be applied to preventing sexual violence. But first, a little background information. This year has seen a lot of research on how the COVID-19 pandemic disproportionately impacts communities of color. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Indigenous people are four times more likely to be hospitalized due to COVID-19 and 2.6 times more likely to die compared to white people. This is a huge disparity and it's important to understand not only why these inequities exist, but also how to interrupt and prevent them. So today, we're going to be talking about one college's campaign to prevent COVID-19 that builds on native values. Fort Lewis College is located on the ancestral lands of Nuchu, Ute, Apache, the Pueblos, Hopi, Zuni, and the Dinan Nation, also known as Durango, Colorado. Over 3,000 undergraduate students attend Fort Lewis College, and over half are students of color. 41% of students are Native American or Alaska Native, representing 177 tribes and Native Alaskan villages. I'm joined today by Ali G, a senior public health major, Dr. Sarah Newman, assistant professor of health sciences, and Tom Sturticus, the president of Fort Lewis College. So thank you again, everyone, for joining us. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the work you've been doing on your campus. And I wanted to start with just some brief introductions um, of you all. So Ali, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Auto Public Health um, My name is Ali G, and I am from Low Mountain, Arizona, located in the Central Agency of the Navajo Nation, and I'm a senior public health student at Fort Lewis College. Thanks so much. Um, Dr. Newman, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Sarah Newman. You're welcome to call me Sarah. Thank you. Um, I am an assistant professor of public health here at Fort Lewis College. And the area of public health I specialize in is um, community behavioral health and really excited to be a part of this conversation. And Tom, um, would you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Of course, Megan, thanks for having us. I'm Tom Stratikis, president of Fort Lewis College. I have the privilege and honor of working with amazing students like Ali who shape our campus and, and make it a better place. And great faculty like Sarah, who use their expertise to help shape things like our response to the pandemic and really all of our work. But this is, this is work that uh, we are proud of. We took on humbly and we're really excited to talk to you about it today. Thanks so much. Um, so to start off, we wanted to connect with you all after we read an article about how you're using the Navajo principle of kinship or to combat COVID-19 on your campus. And one of the things that we know in our work is that 
creating healthy and connected communities is a really important component to preventing sexual violence. And we felt like such a strong connection with the work you're doing, even though you know your work is on preventing COVID-19. And so Ali, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about where you got the idea for this campaign and um, explain the principle of, uh, and what made you think about this value as a way to stop the spread of COVID-19 on campus. Um, so Sarah actually approached me over the summer and asked if there was a way that we could connect indigenous ideologies in a way that could help with the COVID-19 um, pandemic. <laughs> and so I talked to my parents about it because they're both COVID survivors. And we kept coming back to this principle of like why mask wearing why hand washing and symptom checking is important and social distancing. And it was basically just a symbol of respect, not only for yourself, but for others. And that is what F means. It's like this kinship that you feel with all living things, not just humans, but like plants and animals and the land. And so, we, it, the idea came from my parents and this philosophy of uh, is heavily rooted in who we are as Navajo people. And when you're growing up, your parents and your grandparents tell you like why it's so important. It's why we um, introduce ourselves the way we do when we list our four clans because we're trying to establish some type of relationship with whoever we're speaking to. And that's where the idea came from. Um, it's, it's my family's understanding of eh, and every family is different. And it, I think that this concept is, can be translated into different tribes. So every uh, tribal nation has their own understanding of eh, and this connection that we have with living things. And there's so many names for it. Um, but that's like the Navajo understanding, at least for my family. So that's where the idea came from and that's how we used it to connect with the COVID-19 response. Thanks for explaining that background. That's that's so fascinating to learn about. And I, I know that this campaign is one way that an indigenous value can be incorporated into a public health campaign. Um, but Ali, could you talk about maybe other ways that indigenous frameworks more broadly could be used in public health policy or campaigns? Yeah, so I think indigenous frameworks and indigenous ideologies are kind of the backbone to health, like health campaigns. And I've been doing research for the last semester on how the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women has been, um, how people have been approaching the topic and especially for tribes they try to use like culturally specific programming for their approach and I think that using that approach for the people that you're serving is so important and I think that indigenous ideology is seen in a lot of health campaigning and health programming um, but one example that I can think of is the Strong Hearts Hotline. It's one of the first um, indigenous operated mis um, crisis hotlines for indigenous people. So it's run by indigenous people for native people. And I think that 
having that available to Native people is bringing them one step closer to addressing the high rates of violence that Native women face. And that's the one example that I can think of. And I think that Indigenous frameworks are kind of the answer to a lot of health inequities that we see today. Yeah, that's such a great point. And thank you for bringing up Strong Hearts Hotline. That's a great resource and a great example. And so we know that for a campaign like this to be successful, it has to be embraced and supported at all levels. Um, so Tom, could you talk a little bit about how the school administration helped support this campaign? Sure, I, I think in our overall COVID response, we were really interested in meeting people where they were. I, I, if you look across the country, uh, there were schools that tried to scold students into doing the right thing. There were schools that tried to uh, punish students uh, into doing the right thing. And ultimately, I'm, I'm pretty clear that uh, students uh, really don't want to be lectured by old guys like me. And so we really wanted just to engage our community where they were in, in education and help them understand why doing the right thing was not only good for themselves, but good for their student colleagues and their student communities that they are connected to. So for us, um, this was just a, a, a great idea that actually just fit right in line with the way we've been, you know, the way we think about our school, the way we think about uh, empowering our students to be agents of their own being. So classic good leadership, when you see a good idea, don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I know um, that there is a large Native student population represented on campus. And so, Ali, you sort of mentioned about appealing to the community values that that are already a part of this community. Um, would you be able to talk about like why it's so important to reflect community values and maybe like what are some of the consequences of not incorporating community values into a campaign? Yeah, so I think that, like I said earlier, that indigenous frameworks are kind of the answer to a lot of health inequities, but especially within native populations. And I think that that's what public health has taught me, like most importantly, is that you should try to frame whatever you're doing to address health problems to the population that you're serving. And I've seen so much success with the Navajo Nation, what they're doing for our people. And we don't have a lot of resources as far as like infrastructure or um, like money, but I think that what they're doing with the, to handle COVID is, is awesome. They translate everything into um, the Diné language and they they create like infographics that have things that we're familiar with like sheep and hogan and uh, people dressed up in their traditional attire. And I think one of the positive things that has come out of it is just seeing that with public health you can, it's not impossible to frame whatever you're doing to fit around the population that you're you're working with. Um, and I think one of the downfalls to not doing that is you can't, you're not connecting with your population and connection and is so important when you're being a public health practitioner. Um, if you're not connecting with your audience, they're not going to follow whatever you're asking them to do because public health is essentially like a call to action in some, some shape or form. And I think that if you're not connecting with the people, they're not going to do what you're asking of them. And that's like the biggest downfall to not framing it in a way that they understand. 
and there's a lot of barriers like language or just like culture when it comes to serving native people and I think that's why it's important that we're coming from an angle that people understand and I know that a lot of like a big chunk of the native students that come to Fort Lewis are Navajo because we're so close to Durango and I and I think a lot of other native students are familiar with Navajo concepts because like they have like a Navajo friend, I feel like. <laughs> so I think it was good that we use this concept to connect with the, a large majority of who we were um, targeting. And I know that not everyone on campus is native, but I felt like providing them a simplified version of what F means was really our goal so that they could understand why like native communities, we take care of one another during times like this. So I think that that was awesome that we did that and that we connected with our population, which was the student body. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we wanna help listeners really make the connection between, you know, the work that you all are doing and the work that they're doing in their own communities. So Sarah and Allie, what can people listening do in order to develop campaigns that reflect the values of the communities that they're working in or that they're a part of? That's a great question. Um, and Allie, do you wanna take a stab first or? No, you can go ahead. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, I just, I wholeheartedly agree with everything Allie is saying. Um, and um, oh my gosh, so incredibly proud. So I think um, uh, I, I've listened to a couple other of your um, podcast episodes. And so it's um, really that, that idea of being both community-led, community-grounded and adapting campaigns to community values. And so I think um, everything that Ali is saying too, and so I, I've worked with previous um, indigenous uh, groups uh, prior to coming to Fort Lewis. And I, I think that as Ali is saying, um, isn't entirely my experience too, which is the deep underlying values of indigenous culture jive incredibly well with um, what we're trying to accomplish in, pu in public health and um, in, in prevention work. And so I think using that common language and using um, those deeper values to frame arguments, because it's not about the behavior. And, you know, exactly like Tom said, um, I'm not very likely to follow a, a prescriptive um, kind of hammer down approach. It's when I can appeal to values um, and that the behaviors are indicative of, you know, kind of those larger um, frames that I think it becomes more successful. Oh, I like what Sarah said. And also um, I think it's important to just get to know your community. So if you're working with uh, like a, in a certain population, like a racial or ethnic population or within a certain location, I think it's just important to go out into the community and kind of learn about the people, their likes, their dislikes. Like if you notice any patterns or um, I think with indigenous people, it really just comes down to taking the time to talk to someone and finding out um, things about their culture. And I also think it's important to consult like actual people coming from the population and making sure that they're a part of the campaign. Like what Sarah did, she included me in this because I'm a, one, I'm an, an indigenous person. And then two, I'm a student. And so I fit like 
with the population that we're serving and I got to provide input on how to frame this. And I think that that's the most important part of um, trying to find that connection. And also um, that's the biggest advice that I can give to someone who wants to create a campaign is get to know your population and make sure that someone from that population is helping you create this um, program. And I'd like to um, piggyback off of that too, because um, I think that's it's there's always this power imbalance, right? Um, as, uh, or there tends to be. It's not always. Um, and so um, choosing Ali, you know, not only is she a public health student, she's also a student leader, um, the Hajoni ambassador. Um, and so I don't. You, know, you didn't bring that up, but um, so not only, you know, like an advanced public health major, a student leader, um, and has taken um, my public health communication um, course in which she did a major campaign and really shined in that course. And it was very much the same principle. So we were really lucky that I knew Allie. She and I had worked together well. And what I try to really do in that course, particularly, and what we did in this um, campaign is kind of try and shift that balance of power where I'm more of the consultant, I'm a support, and the student is more, much more empowered to lead um, in designing, implementing, and evaluating a campaign. And so I think not only what, I think the work was already established through our, our previous relationship that Ali and I had so that when this, um, when this crisis came up, um, I could call Ali and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. She knew, I think exactly kind of the theory and um, you know, the, the process behind it. And so it's in actual non-academic community work, it's that um, long-term relationship building and that power imbalance too. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I think that is something that the people need to consider is the, the different dynamics that are going on and having that long-term relationship is always really important. Um, what, what we've- Plus Ali's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know what we've seen over the past year now is how COVID-19 has illuminated a lot about our culture and our society in general, as well as you know how it's impacting specific communities. So Tom, I was wondering if you could talk to us about what the COVID-19 pandemic has revealed about the Fort Lewis College community. Great question, thank you for that. First of all, I would say it has really illuminated the caring nature of our faculty and staff. Our, uh, we, we, when we had to isolate students because they were exposed, uh, we had deans, we had provosts, we had our um, vice president of financial affairs delivering meals to students in, in their residence halls, dropping off care packages. People whose day job it, it was to think about something else said, hey, what if we put little stickers in the food packages? And all around our community, it really it just exhibited the great caring that we all have. Uh, second, I think it showed how nimble we are. We overnight transformed campus. We put uh, outdoor learning spaces on campus. We were largely in person for the vast majority of the semester, which was a real success. And that sort of nimbleness, I think a lot of times, uh, higher ed in particular, I know this isn't a podcast about higher ed, but you know, a lot of institutions think, oh, you're not nimble, but yet we were able to really adapt. Um, and then third, I would say, it's really important to tap your community resources. The, the part about that I see in my leadership team and 
our campus really step up is when you don't know something, turn to people who do know something. And, and in this case, um, I might be really clear about what I want our campus to do in terms of its overall COVID response uh, and our leadership team might be clear about it, but we might not know how to communicate it. And there are people, there are people uh, like Sarah, like Allie, uh, who know better. And so it's important for leaders to be clear about what they don't know and be willing to quickly go to people who do know things and make uh, adaption, adapt, adaptions and adjustments. And I'd like to piggyback off of that um, as, you know, someone, you know, to, to that leadership um, as, because as someone trained in public health, but in higher ed, um, the crisis was like just personally challenging because I didn't feel that I was able to help in any meaningful way. And so to be able to be tapped um, and work closely with the administration and work closely with students in this response um, was incredibly fulfilling. And I think um, helped not only our, our students, but also, you know, have this more robust public health response. Yeah, thank you. And I'm interested in hearing from all of you, how did the campaign go overall? Were there any results that really interested or surprised you? Well, I'll start and then we, we can cascade down because this, this campaign was part of a larger COVID response that uh, included uh, in mitigation, uh, pillars of mitigation, distancing, mass protocols, a, a robust testing protocol that we put together. So we conducted over 10,000 tests uh, and uh, were able to understand the burden of disease within our community. So if, if, when you have something as complex as COVID, uh, any single response is not going to, any single aspect of the strategy isn't, isn't, the, isn't the single determinant. So um, I think what we learned is we can do a lot on our campus to control uh, the disease, and we, we were able to. I think what we learned is that uh, students really appreciate being educated and really appreciate being engaged rather than being told what to do, and, that, and that's to, to Sarah's point. And, and, and I think it fits our values. We're, we're an educational institution, so our job is to help develop people and help them uh, see things that they might not have seen. So overall, I'd say successful, though it should be noted, incredibly difficult to manage. All aspects of, of the COVID work were, you know, we all had day jobs and then we essentially added an entire new day job on top of that, which was very taxing and uh, very difficult, but proud to say our, our team really rallied and responded. I agree. Um, I think in terms of a, a communication campaign is as good as the thing it's it's marketing I think and so without the um, alignment kind of top to bottom um, with not only the administration but everyone providing the tests the entire campus students faculty and staff I think got on board for a single mission and framing I know framing it in terms of our values um, certainly facilitated that, but if we didn't have that infrastructure or the capacity to do the number of tests we did, um, the, the caseworker who helps students manage if they were exposed and then um, manage their academics uh, from the faculty side, um, 
creating a community of caring where um, I've never been as lenient as I was this semester in terms of, I don't know that lenient is the right word, but um, flexible, nimble, adaptable in terms of um, students meeting their course objectives. Um, I think that is a way that we were able to support the entire mission. In terms of our campaign um, specifically, I think, um, I think Allie and I, when we talked, we were very careful to one, use a, a Navajo or Diné concept, but also frame it as um, an indigenous, a, 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 a broader indigenous viewpoint um, because we have such a large tribal diversity. I think we have over 170 tribes represented at Fort Lewis. And then um, I would like to say, you know, how incredibly vulnerable Ali was to be the, um, the, I, the, the, the spokesperson, the face of the campaign. Um, I'm really grateful that she had um, her family support, that she was able, that's something I try to always um, advise students is if you're going to use a, a concept, um, definitely talk a lot with your community and your support network because I know um, Ali did get some some backlash for um, and some some challenging things um, about this campaign and I don't know if, if you want to speak to that you you don't have to <laughs> uh, and so I'd love to hear I guess as well of, of Ali your experience but I'm just very proud of her <laughs> yeah <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so I guess I'll talk about from a student perspective. First, um, I think that the campaign went pretty well. I think um, I know that it was kind of hard to escape like this. Like everywhere you go on campus is like COVID, wear your mask, wash your hands, you know, and I think that that is that's part of why I think it was successful. Um, and then also just seeing like how much the physical plant workers put into putting up stickers, putting up QR codes, uh, cleaning the, um, the custodial staff, cleaning the classrooms that we were using. I think it was really a team effort. So not only the professors for making sure that this semester they were flexible, but also making sure that they're telling their students that they need to wear their mask if their class is in person. And then um, having the, like having the ability to have everything sanitized between use, I think is, is such a privilege. And I'm glad that we enjoy that at Fort Lewis and we have like such hardworking and awesome staff that can do that for us. So I thought that from that point of view, it was such a huge success seeing all of that. And had I not been involved in the campaign, I think that I still would have thought it was successful, like not without seeing all of the work that we put into it. But I know that everyone that like all of my friends that I talked to this semester, they thought it was pretty great the way Fort Lewis handled things. Um, and just comparing like ourselves to other schools that had to either be online the entire semester or um, having to end like within the first week or so. And I was pretty proud of our student population for like the limit of gatherings. And I'm just gonna be outright and say it, but college parties used to happen every weekend, but I felt like this semester it kind of died down because of COVID that I know of. Um, so I thought that just seeing that from 
the body was pretty awesome and I'm proud of them. Um, from an individual perspective, I did get a lot of backlash. Um, I think that's one of the problems with being vulnerable and sharing part of your culture is that people think that they have like such an understanding that they can weaponize it against you, even though you only gave them like 1% of information. And I think that that's something that's important to acknowledge as a native person is that you're gonna give up a part of yourself and you don't know like how the community is going to respond. And that's kind of what I learned from this, um, just me, myself. And I know that, you know, not every public health work thing that I'm gonna be doing is gonna be like that. But I think it's an important thing to learn as a native person going into public health is that, you know, not everyone is going to be open about what you're trying to give to them, even though what you're doing essentially is trying to help people. And I think what I also learned from this campaign was that it's it's very hard to teach non-Native people about like unlearning their individualistic mindset. And as Native people, we we don't really have that. We're very community oriented and community woven. And we uh, have this understanding that all of us are connected in some way, which is why I think like at least for my tribe's response that they did such a great job and why their COVID response is pretty successful. It's because we all kind of look out for one another regardless of whether or not we know each other. But I think that that's, something I learned was that it's very hard to teach people who don't want to be like, who don't want to accept what you're trying to tell them. Um, and then also like how important transparency is as far as like the coming from the administration at our college. I think it was really important that as students, we knew what was going on at all times as far as like COVID, like how many cases we had, um, and one thing that I liked is that on the website for Fort Lewis, we can see how many students have been tested, how many cases we have, how many have recovered. Um, and I really liked that. So I thought that that was a great part to our, um, to the response as a whole. And then for the campaign itself, I thought we did a great job. I loved the way we framed it. I loved that we didn't do it in a way that was scolding, like Tom said. I, I thought that I think that that's one of the challenges to this like campaign is that you want to get upset with people who aren't like following our community pillars, but you can't because it's not like it's not helpful to scold people. It just makes them feel bad and then they might not want to like they might just never wear a mask or something, you know? So I think that I love that about our campaign. So overall, I'd say it was pretty successful and there was a lot of things that I learned about public health um, throughout this campaign, like as an individual. And I think that now I know like for the future, like kind of what to expect from campaigning and how public health is going to work, I guess, and what it'll look like. And I'm, I'm kind of happy, I'm not kind of, I'm really happy that I chose public health because I know like it feels rewarding that I could do something that not help, only helped just one person, but helped like a lot of people, like the whole student body on top of 
um, the faculty and staff that work at Fort Lewis. So yeah, I thought overall it was a success and I learned a lot from it. Oh, if I could just jump in uh, and you just say, obviously you're hearing from Allie, just the in incredible wisdom that she brought and, and thanks to Sarah for, for stewarding that along and, and being an incredible mentor for her. I do think Allie's raising an important point that is, that is related to when you put yourself out there as an individual, sharing your story, sharing your individual story, what are the risks associated with that? And uh, Allie did take some risks and, and they're, they're, every time you do that, you know, in a community of, of 4,000 people, um, there, there is apt to be uh, some responses that, you know, are inappropriate. And so I think Allie, um, Allie's raising a really important thing for us to consider as we think about when we're using individual stories or, or group culture, what's the context in which those are successful and, and what's the context in which something that to Allie is very sacred uh, is treated that way. And while there is no guarantee that in a large community of students and faculty and staff, everyone is going to see it that way, what do uh, the Allies of the world need to ask of their leaders, their organizations to make sure they have some air cover essentially to uh, protect them, uh, you know, in a way, and, and that can be a tap, that can be a challenge. Um, it, it's not a, it's not a, as Ali, it's not a seamless thing. So I, I just appreciate uh, Ali's maturity and Ali's wisdom around this. And I think she has a lot to teach me and, and really many other heads of organizations across the country that are listening to your podcast. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I appreciate everything that um, everyone's brought up. I'm just sitting over here feeling like I'm vigorously nodding at everything everyone's saying because I'm like, yes, I agree. <laughs> so one of the things that we're really trying to focus on at NSVRC at the moment is um, this idea of health equity and how to center that in our prevention work. So Sarah, I was wondering if you could say, let us know, like, what are some things our listeners can do right now to focus their work on health equity and then like maybe some more long-term things as well? Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's such a, a big, amazing question. Um, I, I know that um, Allie will remember in class, we always talk about this. We, we, we call it our, um, our magic public health czar wand where we're like fixing, <laughs> where we're like imagining like our, how, how would we, um, how would we redesign the world to make it more equitable? Um, and so I think you know, there, I have a couple of, of like kind of concrete things. Um, a big thing that I think we did well, um, that, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll back up, um, from more of a immediate reaction or immediate action is making sure to disaggregate your data to identify and understand disparities, because unless we are able to track it, we can't actually identify that. Um, we don't, if we can't address it, if we don't know where they are, especially in the pandemic, um, especially as we're thinking about how it's disproportionately affecting, um, you know, low income and racial minority communities. Uh, certainly in the immediate term, making donations to um, groups that are focused on health equity, uh, long-term disparities are, and inequities are coming from structures. And so to start focusing on systems and structural changes, I think um, is the way to have this kind of broader um, equitable impact. 
advocating for better policies in our communities and our workplaces um, at, at the kind of at the policy level as well. Also, you know, talking to people about health equity. So um, I, I love, I listen to a, a different podcast that says uh, you have a platform and you should always use it. And so until we have a broader understanding of what health equity actually is or health disparities, um, there isn't likely to be that kind of broader structural shift. And so everyone listening has a platform and, and um, that has been something that I've been incredibly impressed. Even my, my own mom, my, my own mother um, is starting to use language that um, I know she wasn't exposed to. You know, I've, I've been saying this for a long time, but she's starting to kind of talk back with me about it. And that has been um, illuminating to me. And then I think um, in terms of, you know, how, how we can look at equity from our, our individual selves. Um, so if you are, you know, a lot of us have positions of privilege that are doing health equity research. And so for those of us who have that privilege, it's still exhausting. And so understanding um, that it, it makes people burn out because we forget that systems took generations to form. And so it might take that long um, for them to, to change. And then for people who are working in systems who don't have that privilege, um, understanding, you know, the, the vulnerability and the action it takes, but also what are things that are going to prevent that burnout. And so to those, those systems that people are working to try and change are also kind of perpetuating those inequities. And so how are ways, um, you know, for Ali's specific example, you know, um, I'm, again, I'm so glad that um, she was talking, you know, in, in very close communication with her family um, as she did this campaign, but understanding that it comes at a cost. And so being judicious about what it is that you're offering. Um, in terms of that work. And, and again, knowing that it's, it's long-term. And so the thing I also tend to tell students, and boy, this was giving me the warm fuzzies today, listening to Ali talk and really validating um, that work is it's, um, it's not just the work we're doing, it's the people we're doing that work with. And so looking at how much, um, how challenging the, that systems change is, um, and really gaining a lot from the, the people we're working with. I, I appreciate everyone talking about this idea of vulnerability. And um, Ali, I know you had mentioned that oftentimes um, creating culturally specific campaigns like this can mean that indigenous people or people of color feel like they're being asked to give up a part of their self or a part of their culture to help the community and not necessarily knowing how it's going to be received or if it's going to be used in the correct way. And so I was wondering if there's anything that you learned from this campaign that maybe you would do differently or just any reflections along those lines. Yeah, so I think, like I said, overall, I thought we did pretty great and it was nice to be like part of this. Um, I think as Indigenous people, we like inherently live in this state of prediction and it's basically like the basis of who we are. Um, because, you know, like you can, if you complain about something, people will say like, well, you're using your iPhone or 
you have technology, you know, like that type of response. And it's true, but also we didn't like choose to live this way. Um, and I think it's important that we're picking our battles. And I, and that's what I kind of got out of this semester too, was that um, receiving that backlash, there were so many like thoughts that went through my head that were kind of like, oh, I, if I wanted to, you know, I could, I could respond with this, I could say this, but um, I think just like being part of this campaign, I've kind of gained the respect of a lot of people. And when that happened, I didn't really, I didn't really need to say anything. I felt like other people kind of did that for me. And I think that that was, that was really um, an experience to go through um, as um, I'm not even graduated yet, you know? So I think that that was something that um, was important for me to learn. And it, unfortunately, it, it, I think that for some people, they might, that might be like the turning point, like, oh, do I really want to do public health? Um, so I think that that kind of falls into that vulnerability. And that was one thing that I didn't really think of when I did the campaign was like, will I receive backlash for this? Um, because I was pouring something so sacred and so like, so I don't, I don't even know what the word is, but so sacred into the world that I wouldn't think that there would be a way to, um, even, even weaponize it because that's not, that's not really how eh is used in my community. Um, eh is really just used to shine light on things that, um, like just the importance of this connection that we have with everything. And when we're holding ourselves accountable, we use eh in that way too, <clears throat> but not in a way where we're like being condescending or um, scolding someone. We, it's more like a, like, okay, we need to check ourselves and that's what it is, you know, like, and people just, they don't really have that understanding of it unless they're a Navajo person, I feel like. Um, and then also, I think that one thing that is not really talked about when you're doing these campaigns is, I think that it's just an American thing that is taught is like not to talk about money or like this idea of compensation. But I think one thing that I think that for other people who want to do something like this, that it's important for them to know that compensation is so important. And I know that the idea of the, like using an indigenous framework wasn't mine, but I felt like using eh was kind of the backbone of this whole campaign. And I, I didn't get compensated or receive anything for um, helping Fort Lewis and this concept of kinship was marketed a lot, I felt like, to a point where it made me think like, did I give up too much? And that's kind of that state of, I'm living in contradiction. And I think that, that as native people, we definitely feel that all the time is like, okay, how much is too much to give people, even if you're helping your community? Um, and it would be different, you know, if this was a Navajo centered, program, but it wasn't. And I think that that, con that compensation for the people who are helping, especially like, because I played such a big role in this, um, this campaign, 
I think that is one thing that I would change is just to know that like even though there is no there's no value on this concept of eh, I think that it would have it would have helped to know that I contributed like it was so worthy of using that I received something in return for giving up that piece of myself and I was more than happy to do it and volunteer my time and everything but I think that that concept of like free emotional labor and having to explain and educate people for free is it's it's exhausting and I think we need to move away from that so I'm really appreciative that I got to do this but I think that compensation is the one thing that I would change and also just acknowledging that that I had to give up like this very important portion of my being to be able to help my community and I was happy to do it, but also like some of the backlash that I received kind of made me take a step back and think like how much did I give up and how much was okay to give up. And it's also hard because no one can give you that answer. Like even my parents, they can't say like, okay, you can tell them this much, but don't tell them this much because then you don't know like, cause my parents aren't like the end all be all on our culture. And there's no one person who can tell you that. So it's more like you have to learn to gauge that for yourself, how much you're willing to explain and educate others for free. Um, so yeah, so I think that it's important that you're paying the people who are helping you, especially like native people who are um, using their community uh, values. So I think that that's one thing that I would change and one thing that the next campus or whoever is going to follow something like this which should do differently. Ali, that's a, that's a great uh, uh, remark and, and I, I think I'll take that as a request. Uh, so I appreciate uh, you, you bringing that up. And I do, I do believe as an institution, um, you know, Ali knows this, we had uh, a group of students, Native students and students from our Black Student Union uh, come and speak to our Board of Trustees retreat this summer. And we, in fact, did compensate them for their time, for their preparation, and for the work in, in working with um, the, our board. And Allie's correct, uh, ha have not directly compensated her uh, for this. And, and I, think it's a, I think it's a good point. Uh, and so I appreciate you raising that. This, the second thing I would say as we were speaking is, um, just when you're doing this kind of work, you know, how you rise above uh, sometimes some of the noise, acknowledging it, we've used the word vulnerable and I think that's an important word to use, but strength is another word uh, that, that certainly I saw in Ali and in our response this summer and, uh, and through the fall. And I think it's similar to when you write an op-ed and you take a strong position. And of course there are gonna be comments that are very easy to make because they're anonymous comments that you know, say ridiculous things. And, I think at times uh, you can dive into those comments and, and think about them, or at times you can think about the broader message and work you're trying to do. And, and that's really an important skill to develop as you head into leadership positions. And, and really it was great to watch Ali develop that skill very strongly here throughout the semester. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. I really appreciate everyone, everyone talking about all of this. I've learned so much. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us today to share more about your college's work to prevent COVID-19. This has been such an incredible conversation and I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for your interest in us and our students and our faculty. We appreciate it and good luck with the work that you're doing. It's equally as important. As of February 17th, Allie has not been paid by the university. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.